Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a lot of scripture in front of us this morning, um, but there's just no really great way to cut this down. Uh, Psalm 90 is pretty cool. It's a psalm from Moses. It's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Yes, that Moses, right? There's, there's really the one uh, in the Old Testament, and it's, it's from him. And you might think, well, that, he wrote the first five books, and like that was way, way before we get to the time of the Psalms. Correct. But it is completely plausible that he wrote lots of other stuff down, too, and didn't include it in those first five books, and it just simply wasn't a part of that part of the scripture. Um, so he wrote a prayer, and then at some point later, people who were compiling the book of Psalms decided to add it in, because Psalms are, as we have been talking about all summer, the prayer book of the Old Testament, or the prayer book of the Bible itself. So here is a prayer that, that he wrote, and what you're going to hear is something that I think a lot of us struggle with, and especially the first several verses, there's this tension, and, and Moses is talking about how God is forever, and our time is so short, and how that is, is a, a complication in our relationship with him. And then we're going to also hear from Second Peter in a little bit, too. And in Second Peter, he quotes this psalm to talk about the patient waiting of Christians when it comes to the return of our Lord and Savior. So this is Psalm 90, beginning with verse 1, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of our Lord. Our second reading this morning is from 2 Peter, verses three, or chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years 
as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some of you count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as Dan mentioned earlier, we're going to talk about patience this morning, and my goal is to kind of reframe your mind a little bit when it comes to being patient and waiting upon the Lord. And this is difficult for us to do. It's a difficult thing for, for humans to do because of our limited experience when it comes to time. Because we observe and experience such a short amount of it in, in relation to all of time, it's, it's difficult. In fact, it's it's not dissimilar to, you know, that, that cool Einstein physics theorem, right? The relativity of time, or as I like to call it, T equals T-O slash check mark thingy. I don't, that's what it is. I think, actually, <laughs> so right before church this morning, if you don't know this, Sarah has a PhD in math, and she goes, this is wrong. And I go, oh yeah, well, I cut and paste from Google. So <laughs> your PhD might be wrong. Well, I'm just saying. So she apparently fixed it, and it's, it doesn't make sense to me. And it doesn't need to make sense for the sermon. The idea is this theory of relativity of time is about speed and about mass and gravity, and that bends time. It's a really cool thing, right, to think about, that, that time is experienced differently based off of speed, well, but like you have to be getting close to the speed of light, or by gravity, black holes, bend time. That's kind of cool, but it's not really what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the relativity of time when it comes to how much we experience like, let's say, hypothetically, <laughs> you have three 10-year-olds, 9 to 10-year-olds in your house, right? Hypothetically. <laughs> Waiting 30 minutes for your turn on the computer is forever, right? <laughs> right? Or I was, I was thinking about this, too. Like, I have, a, I have a son who is just going off to college now for his sophomore year, going to have a junior in high school. And you look at four years of college, or the next thing. Maybe it's going in the military for four. You look at those four years, and you go, oh, that is forever. When I was married for five years, I remember thinking that the couples who've been married for 20 years have been married forever. Right? But all of that is, is amusingly flipped once you get to my stage in life at 45 years old, been married over 20 years. Me waiting for a turn for something for 30 minutes, I can like, literally do that in my sleep. I can just take a nap for 30 minutes and wake up and it's my turn. Or I, I can amuse myself by looking at the weird new spots I have and like picking at that thing, and then, oh, it's my turn. Like, it, 30 minutes goes in a blink. 
Or if you were to tell me, okay, here's a thing that if you invest four years of time into, and then it will radically change your life, benefit your family, I could certainly do that. Are you kidding me? Four years? It'll go by in a blink. 20 years of marriage, I look back, five years of marriage? We may not even notice that, right? We might have another kid by then. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's, as you get older, you look back at these amounts of times, you go, that's nothing. That's, that's so, just a blink of an eye. Now, we, as, as Moses says, our years are 70, maybe 80, or he's, you know, it's just kind of a poetic ballparking of it. But he, he's talking about a God who is everlasting to everlasting, who was, who was before there was a was, right? before time began. A God who existed before mountains were created or the earth was formed. So when we get frustrated that God is moving slow in our lives, he doesn't see it as slow. I mean, he's, he's the one who functions in terms of eons, millennia, thousands, thousands of years. So just, just reframing your perspective that God is working with a much bigger story than the narrative of your 70, 80, 90 years. God's working with a story of salvation that is way bigger than the last five years of your life that have been so difficult, right? So he's not being slow. From your vantage point, from your reference, from your perspective, sure, it feels like a turtle's pace. I get it. And I have been there too. And, and it is not uncommon that the people of the scriptures have cried out countless times with Moses, return, Lord, why are you taking so long? That's literally the context of 2 Peter. 2 Peter is writing to people who are like, man, Jesus is taking forever, right? Jesus is taking forever to come back. We've been waiting 2,000 years, and they had been waiting 10 15, 20? See, it's, it's perspective. Oh, Lord, how long have pity on your servants? Psalm 90, verse 13. This has been on the hearts of literally every Christian who has ever prayed to God at some point in their life. Lord, I need you, and it's, you've taken forever. Lord, I am, I am begging you, act now in my life for this situation, for this moment, for this thing. I am waiting and waiting and waiting. But there is a blessing in the slow God. When God is slow, it is a blessing to us. It doesn't feel like it, and I don't want to deny that experience that you have had of frustration or anger. I want to affirm it along with all of those authors found in this book who have said the very same thing countless times, but as you read this whole testimony of Scripture, 
As, as you absorb this whole thing, what you see is that God is indeed working out a plan of salvation. And his plan of salvation does include you, but you're not the main character. So the main character of this book is and always will be Jesus. The, the great blessing of the slowness of God is that he's bringing out and revealing his son, his, his son, our savior, throughout all of time. We look for him sort of spotlight and highlight in, in my individual specific context. That's a very Western mindset, a very individualistic mindset. Instead, we see in a community Christ worked out amongst us, revealed and manifest amongst us. How many times has this congregation seen it? How many times have we had these miraculous moments where, and I always just feel embarrassed and like, it's, it's crazy that I get to be the one who stands in front and is like, hey, guess what? This building project, it's gonna go. Isn't that awesome? And it's, it's like, I'm, I don't want anybody to think I get credit for this. I just get to say it, right? I feel, I feel bad <laughs> that it's always me. But like it's, it's going amazing. You look out there and you see walls going up. and all That seemed impossible seven years ago. And we waited and waited and waited. Pandemic was like, oh my gosh, it set everything back. But man, is the timing of that now perfect. As a congregation, we prayed, how long, oh Lord, until we can get this thing started? Well, guess what? I'm glad he was slow in delivering. The timing is perfect. The finances are perfect. The, everything about it, perfect, right? We've, that's just one example of all of the different things, right? Kenya mission trips and all of these different amazing things that we've had to, to witness as a congregation since, since I've been here, but long before I was here too. All of those things seem like they were taking forever. But then we see God had something in store different or, or slightly augmented from what we had in mind, and it's a blessing. But it's more than just that. For you personally, the slowness of God is a blessing. When we look at this text from Psalm 90 again. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. That secret sin thing is interesting because no sin is a secret to God, right? That's the point of that text is they're all in front of you. <laughs> they're all in your light. You see them all. They're secrets to us. Actually, sometimes literally secrets to us that we don't even know. We don't even realize this thing, this issue, this is sin, and it's in my life, and it has corrupted me and my thoughts, my deeds, all of this. This sin is real, and I didn't know about it for all of this time. That's the nature of the word of God paired with discipleship. You'll discover the more you read, 
the more you study, the more not only read and study God's word, but even study the world around you and and with introspection, self-reflection, you'll discover just how sinful you are. And man, if you thought your list was here when it comes to sin, the more you look and the more you explore and the, the greater your faith, the more you go, my sin keeps piling up. Things I didn't even know about. It was like a secret I had to myself. But here's the blessing. God has been patient this entire time, forgiving you of sins you didn't even know you had. Patiently waiting for you to discover so that he can remind you, already forgiven. I worked out that that problem of your sin 2,000 years ago on the cross, right? We, we want it to be immediate in our lives. And he goes, okay, the things that you really need to deal with, the sin in your life, you want that worked out immediately? How about pre-worked out? How about I did that in advance 2,000 years ago? How about I knew about it then or even before you were born or before the world was created, he knew of your iniquities and your sins that were a secret to everybody because they hadn't even manifested themselves yet and he had already worked out a way in which to solve that problem. And the solving of that problem was the sending of his son to bear all of those iniquities, past, present, and future, and take care of it, pay for it on the cross. This great transfer of all of the sin of the world, including yours, to his son Jesus, to make the payment, and that payment is death. And then the transference of all of the righteousness, all of the goodness, all of the mercy that he had for his son, transfer that upon you because you call upon the name of Jesus and believe in him. How simple and elegant, brilliant, really, of a plan of salvation. So we get impatient, waiting and waiting and waiting, only to realize 2,000 years ago, it's already done. See, that, that relativity of time really bends not around mass and, and gravity, but it bends around the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is where all life, sin, death, resurrection, all things bend towards the cross to remind us that God's work is already done. So when we are impatient with him, when we are frustrated or angry with him, well, <laughs> he's not quick to anger. He didn't slap us around a little bit and be like, hey, knucklehead, 2,000 years ago. He's patient with us. But I know that's, that's a nice, beautiful, spiritual, refreshing thing to hear, but you got like a problem now. <laughs> and, and what are you going to do about the thing? And how does, how, does this, how does this get put into real-world practice? Well, let me just tell you this. God plays the long game. Oh, I, I, missed, a, 
I missed a, a verse. Let's put 2 Peter 3, 8 up here. This is what I meant. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So in other words, the bending around of the cross is what Peter is saying is he's not slow, he's patient because he wants all people to be redeemed. And that, that is not necessarily about you. This is God playing the long game right here. So, God playing the long game. I want to make sure I get these statistics correct. I, I have an affinity for Gothic cathedrals. And if you've, if you've ever been to Europe and seen one, phenomenal, right? Uh, I've, I've never seen uh, Notre Dame. I've never seen it other than the pictures and stuff like that. But, but the work on Notre Dame, so we're going to use this as like a, a, a stand-in for God-working kingdom on earth stuff, just sort of metaphorically. I'm not saying that cathedrals or churches or buildings is what God wants most in this world, but just as, as a stand-in. Construction started was pretty continuous for about 200 years. 200 years to build that thing, okay? And you're thinking, man, that's a long time. Uh, the Cathedral of Milan, 579 years. Now, there were some things in there, wars and other stoppages. <clears throat> the, the greatest one, though, is the Cologne Cathedral, 632 years. Look at that thing. Leave this up for a second, because I love this perspective. 632 years. Those, those spires are 500 feet tall. Base is about five or 200. Each one is about 200 feet wide, so around 200 by 200 by 200 square at the bottom. That thing is huge. Now imagine you're a mason when that thing is, is commissioned and the first stone is laid, and you are working with a bunch of other masons, and you're like, I am doing the Lord's work. Building his kingdom. I am busy at work, but this, this is, you know, a long time ago. So we're cutting stones with hammers, right? And we're mixing the mortar with hands, and we are laying bricks. And maybe I'm a young mason who does this his whole life, and 40, 50 years worth, I get it up to, like, nose height. Now think about this for a second. You look up and you see blue sky. You don't see this. You don't see those spires in the top. You can't see what, what God is building. And again, I know this is architects and man. That's not what I'm saying. In your life, you don't see what God is building. And if that mason was honest with himself, he would know. I'm not going to finish this thing. And if, if we have a mason family, my, my kid's not going to finish this thing. My grandkid's not going to finish this thing, but maybe my kid gets it to 10, 12 feet, and my grandkid gets it to 30 feet or whatever, and maybe my great-great-grandkid will get there, and now you're starting to think in terms of God's kingdom. I've said this before, but I'm hoping it sinks in a little bit different today. Construction and building and ministry and mission of living faith is not for you. It isn't for you. You're here. You're the builder. You're the construction worker. It is for some who are out there right now who are lost. 
and need to know the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. But it is truly for your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, churches, because we're part of God's kingdom, we think in terms of generations, not quarterly reports and income and expenses and stock prices. We don't think in terms of my retirement is 30 years away and my stock portfolio. We're a church. It's different. We do today what we do today by the power of God through his Holy Spirit because that cross and its promise has lasted for us over 2,000 years. And the promise of the cross lasted before the cross happened for thousands of years. That's the story we're a part of. So when, when you look at your life, you might be a mason and your problems may never go away and you may never see the finished product of what God is doing with your life and that's okay. We trust that God has a plan bigger than our lives and that isn't this cherry-coated, candy-coated, lovely thing that God has a plan for my life which means everything is going to work out great. No, what it means is there's a plan for this community, a plan for this planet. There's a plan for your family and your part might suck. <laughs> and that's the way it is. But let me remind you, this book and this story isn't about you. So if you think that your part, your narrative, your character in here isn't so great, think about the chump mason who built that, that giant 500-foot spire up to three feet <laughs> and was like, I bet this will look nice when it's done, Right? knowing he's never going to see it. Think about all of those people that have been that mason in this world and in this life and recognize the value of it is enormous. Because if that mason doesn't build the first three, four, five feet, well, the rest doesn't go. If that small part that you're playing isn't played by you, then it's not played. And whatever God is doing in the world for the next 5, 10, 20, 30, 100 years, well, then it won't happen because you're not doing it. Reframe your minds to understand the story of salvation is included it includes you, but it isn't about you, and it isn't about just your context. It is about such a bigger story of salvation for the world. He is being patient because he wants more saved. He is being slow in your life for a reason, and I'm not going to pretend like I know it and can tell it to you, even if I know you super-duper well. I can make some guesses, but I'm not God. But what I know is this, in this book, over and over and over again, the promises of God are fulfilled. The promises of God remain. He makes those promises and he fulfills them, sometimes generation after generation from when they are made, but he always, every single time, fulfills that promise. He has never failed. 
He has never lost. He has never lied. And he has in store for his children, all of you, the eternal good. And that's the little twist at the end of the story. The little twist is that there is a new heavens and a new earth. And there is a resurrection from the dead. So the the story of your life, I don't want it to sound all doom and gloom like you're this poor chump mason who's putting bricks and you're never even going to know why you've suffered so much or this thing never worked or why God is so slow. That's not the whole story. There is this second chapter of your life. You know, sometimes we think the first chapter of our life is, you know, grade school, second chapter is high school, third chapter is college, fourth chapter, and, and we're on like, like a fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth chapter right now. No, you're in the first chapter. First chapter is you are a sinner in a sinful, broken body living on this planet. Chapter two, raised from the dead, new planet. You're in the first chapter, okay? Relax. <laughs> it's a really long book, and you might think this first chapter is super duper long, but what happens? In the resurrection, chapter number two has no ending. Right? Our perspective changes. Time to us is no longer relative in relation to an eternal God in a way that is frustrating because our reference for time then will also be eternal. And maybe we'll have the opportunity. I don't know what the resurrection is going to be like in this regard of remembering and looking back. Maybe my raised perfect body and perfect mind looks back and goes, oh, I can see that. You weren't being slow. But when this thing was happening... You allowed that to happen to me, and it was miserable, let me tell you. But I can see how that gave me a perspective to say something to them, which changed them enough to say this to them, and this generational thing, until somewhere down the line, it is life-changing and life-altering and incredibly significant to God's kingdom. And if only I had lived another 500 years, I'd have seen it. But... I don't because of my sin, because of my brokenness, just like you, 70, 80, 90, whatever it's going to be, that's my time. So what do we do? Now, how do we live? Well, there is a God in the routine. The God in the routine is an important thing to remember. As Moses says, we'll get this up on the screen from Psalm 90, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. If you get frustrated with how slow God is working these last two or three years of your life, or you don't see where this is going to go in the next three, four, five years of your life, then just stop and, and be as the mason building the, the, the spires of the Cologne Cathedral and get up each day, and start like that. Renew your love of the Lord this morning. And the way it ends is great. I don't have it on the screen. I want you just to listen to this. This this is how Moses ends this. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. 
See, when it comes to waiting upon the Lord, that is a, a spiritual, it's a you know, non-concrete sort of strange thing to consider, but we are these tactile, physical, fleshy things, and we got these hands that need to do something, and there it is. You, you want relief from that frustration of what is the Lord doing, why is he taking so long? Get up, pray to the Lord, rejoice that you're his child, embrace the fact that he loves you, and don't think about it. Get to work. And what is the work you're doing? And it's the same every single day. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Pray to the Lord and be thankful for what you've got to do. And then, what do you got to do? Is, is it your job to go to school? Go to school. And is it your job to go to work? Go to work. Is it your job to to? Be retired and, and to meet your neighbors and be kind and loving to them, to do that. It is always your job to love your neighbor, to love your spouse, to love your kids, to love friends and family and share Christ. Just do that. And then the plan for the next day is do that again. And the day after that, do that also again. And then after that, do that again and just do one day at a time, patiently waiting for the Lord to reveal this thing that is frustrating, is difficult, and be okay with it if you don't get to see it in your lifetime. Because it ain't about you. It's about Christ crucified, his kingdom on earth, and his kingdom that we pray every Sunday would come soon. Amen. And may the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you please stand to pray with me? Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for today and for tomorrow and the day after that. Each and every day, the opportunities that you give to me to love neighbor as self, to love my spouse and my kids, to love my congregation, my friends and my family, and to simply do the work of the kingdom. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would grant us all patience to just be able to wait upon you and the grace and the peace to know that it may not ever resolve in our lifetime, but these things that you are working out in your kingdom are for a much greater good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.